Well, hello, and this is my first podcast. Now, I wanted to go over what this is all about. Broadcast Delivery 101 is a podcast channel about the broadcast industry, post-production, and all the bits and bobs in between. But I kind of want to take you on a bit of a journey here and walk through my experience in my industry and my career to hopefully bring on an audience that wants to understand a bit more about the past, what's happening in the future, and more importantly, how the times are today. So right now it's 2020 and there's some interesting things going around the world as we know. And I thought it'd be a great time to start a podcast, which I've always wanted to do. So let's just get into it, shall we? So my name's Craig Russell Roy and you know at this stage I'm 47 year old male and I've been in the industry for many, many years and I've loved it right from the start. And right from the start was, believe it or not, in a 1985 work experience exchange in the first Apple store. Now, you must remember back in 1985, apples were very expensive and very bespoke. And where I grew up was a place called the Sunshine Coast. Sunshine Coast is on the east coast of Australia, just north of Brisbane by about an hour. And I grew up there from, it must have been 1978 through to around about 2000, or no, it wasn't, it was 1999. And I was born in Scotland, and I migrated to Australia with my parents in 1974. We landed in Melbourne, and then we moved up to the Sunshine Coast, which is a very, very sleepy village. And it was a fantastic place. It was really, really good. And from that opportunity of working in the Apple shop as a work experience, mind you, the buggers made me photocopy a 480-page manual just to keep me busy. I got the glimpse of computers. Now... I love computers. Computers are fantastic. I've always loved them. I've never been a programmer, but what I've done, I've associated myself around people who are fantastic programmers. And that's going to come later when I'm going to tell you about my experience. But at school, now you must remember, this is 1988. You know, computers were not really that cool. Um, I was enjoying surfing. I was enjoying BMX freestyling. I was having an absolute ball in 1988. I graduated in 1990 from Maroochydore High School, and at 1988, I really got into my um, certain division, which was a film and television course, and that perceived of a lot of still photography of 35mm, um, we had one VHS camcorder, which we all shared, we'd done stop animation, and the guy who looked after it was... What was his name? It'll come to me in a second, but it was a fantastic experience. There's only about 12 of us in the class, and I loved um, the, the the drama section we had as a class as well. So the film and TV people would film the drama. I was in the drama class as well. But where I'm getting to is that I've always embedded myself in the film and tev- television industry. I've loved television from the start. I've loved films. And from there, I graduated in 1990. Now... In 1990, everyone was sitting for their ASAT test, which basically put you into university. I'd been doing some hard yards with a TV station on the Sunshine Coast called Sunshine Television, which was later be bought out by Channel 7. Sunshine Television was a regional television that looked after all of Queensland, and there were seven regions. In the Maroochydore area, we looked after three, which is Wide Bay, Sunshine Coast, and Sunshine Coast and Darling Downs. And then the rest of them would be Townsville, Mackay, and all those sort of guys, which was transmitted out of Mackay. Lovely people, lovely people. I'll get to that in a sec. So 
I'd been doing some work experience on the weekends, I've been graveling around, I've been asking, I've been kind of sitting in, and the Sunshine Television Original Branch was a transmission, promo producing, promo producing, and news outlet. So it had all of the genres and all of the criteria from editing on BDCAM SPs, and we had these D1 LMSs, which is library management systems. So from there, I basically groveled, 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 but I couldn't get a position at that stage. It's very difficult. So in 1990, I graduated, didn't know what I was going to do. So I went down to the Academy of Film and Video with a gentleman called Brian Benson. Now, Brian was a cinematographer and he had his ACE on as well. And he was a very, very interesting character. Now, this was every Tuesday. Uh, pardon me, it was every Monday. And every Monday, it was in Brisbane, and I was on the Sunshine Coast. And to pay for this course, which cost a lot of money back then, I think it was 200 bucks a, a lesson, I worked in a bicycle shop called Mulk Bills. With my passion for BMX freestyling and bicycles and tinkering and tankering the whole way, I loved this job. Um, and Andrew and Paul Cummings, lovely guys. We had some absolute barnies, mind you. But from that, that showed me how people worked. Because in a bicycle shop, you'll have a child coming in to a person who's lost their license from um, drink driving they need to buy a bicycle. I would get uh, a sales technician, um, I'd be a mechanic, I'd be a, a consulate, you know, I'd be listening to all these people's stories. And that really allowed me, in, in hindsight, to understand how people worked. And it was fascinating. Now, from that bicycle shop, I'd work Monday the Friday, oh, sorry, Monday the Saturdays, Saturdays were the busiest. And from there, I would actually take that money and drive it right into my film and television course um, with the Academy of Film and Video. I stuck to it. Um, it took a long time to get going. It was like a year and a half. And in 1992, I was so lucky. My opportunity arised at Sunshine TV as a videotape operator. Now, you must understand, back in the day, we had one-inch spot reels on commercials, and my primary goal was to take these commercials and make them into a digital format on a Sony D2, which was a composite digital um, recorder. We had two. We had three areas, so we'd always have to do um, recording onto two of them and then do a third one as well, which was it was hilarious. The people I worked with there were Tony and Brett, um, a load of other people, John, uh, Jack, all these fascinating characters, and the TV people are very, very interesting people. A gentleman called um, uh, John Corfon, pardon me, having a bit of a brain dump there, um, allowed me to be a, if this work experience I was telling you about, allowed me to go into some news stuff. Now, news stuff is tremendously hardcore. I'm now very young, carrying tripods, thinking it's the best thing since sliced bread. We're turning up to car crashes with dead people. And you have to remember, at that day, any film crew that would get onto the scene first, because they'd be listening to police scanners, what have you, had to film the entire police scene. So in case it rained, in case someone moved something. So the first thing was straight out filming dead bodies, um, seeing amputations. The worst one that's got to me today is a car where some people had had a car crash. And unfortunately, they'd uh, passed away in the car crash. And worse still, they'd actually been chopped in half. The kicker is that they were in their wedding outfits. So they are actually driving to their wedding and had a car crash and got killed on the way there. So horrific, absolutely horrific. But that kind of stirred me up and kind of getting immune to this. From there, I would move on to editing. And the editing would allow you to kind of block out the gruesome images of it all. 
So from there, I'd be a tape op. I'd be working, working, working. Once I was in the building, I was never going to leave my place. I was in there. I was grafting. I was coming in an hour early. I was staying an hour late. I was sniffing around the post-producing guys, how they did it. I was looking at the news guys, so that I knew switching. I was looking at presentation. And I grafted and grafted and grafted for three years there. And the job that I got to, which I loved, was the promo producing. Now, the promo producing allowed you to take base elements of um, the network promos, which were done by Channel 7, and my goal was to actually put a voiceover, not my voice, another person's voice, and put in a super or a bug to replace the Channel 7 with the Sunshine TV logo. It was a great job. I really enjoyed it. I would then do some online editing, which was absolutely fantastic, and the whole company was great. Then came along Avid Media Composer. We're talking circa 1994. This $150,000 machine, which could hold 30 minutes of uh, video. I looked at this and went, this is the future. This makes absolute sense. Mind you, I was working on 3-bitter SP machines with a 910 edit controller, and it was all in linear. It was all in real time. So doing these promos, I went, this is what we need to move towards. This makes sense. I'll record a, um, a sat feed coming in. I'll then put it into the edit suite, I'll knock it up, and then I'll spit it back out the tape, and then we can ingest it. At that time, there was no digital ingestions, it was all on videotape, and it was a kind of a, a breakthrough. From there, I left. I'd um, got too big for my boots, if I look back at it, and this is now 1996, got too big for my boots, I'm going to go travel the world, and I did, had a great time, spent every single penny that I ever owned traveling the world. It was okay. It was great. In hindsight, I'm glad I did it because I left straight from school. I never had a break. I was all about the work. So it was good to kind of get grounded back again. I was lucky enough to land a position down at Foxtel. Now, Foxtel is a cable network station down in Sydney, and it was great. We're talking hundreds, 500-odd people on the on the wharf at Darling Harbour. Um, I locked myself back into the tape room, and that had... God, what was it? 30 odd digibeaters, load of VHS machines. That's where I learned about PAL and NTSC, learned more about MCR, the master control room, worked how the edits were done. And it kind of, I really got a presence at Foxtel and I loved it. I got some great relationships, which to date I still have. And it allowed me to understand the larger broadcasting position. From there, I left, um, went freelance. I'd done some stuff at Showtime, doing some promo producing, and I landed at Frame Set and Match. Now, Frame Set and Match, we're talking 1999 here, and Frame Set and Match had the first Flame, I think, um, which is from Autodesk or Discreet at the time, and they were doing high end um, uh, TV shows, high end commercials. They had a, um, a Spirit Cine uh, Telesim machine, which would take uh, 35mm film, they had an edit box, they had Avids. Steve and Rick pumped so much money into their North Ride operations, and they were such great people to learn from, fantastic mentors, and they showed me a lot, absolutely a lot. And they showed me not only the, the, the technical skills of running stuff, but how to do it correctly. So I would do shortcuts. I thought I knew it right. I'd read some books. Mind you, internet's not really kicked in at this stage. There's no proper YouTube of going and understand how Flame works or Edibox works. So I kind of learned on the job. Sit before the online editors, understand what they're doing. It was a great time. I really enjoyed it. Frame Set and Match or FSM was absolutely spectacular. I then got the opportunity to leave and go to a startup, 
back in the day, which was called Advertising Advantage. Wally and Luke were absolutely phenomenal trailblazers in addressable linear television. They'd basically go and buy a bucket load of cheap space on all the, um, the television stations and then flog it to mum and pop shops. Mum and pop shops would be the fish and chip shop, be a bicycle shop, uh, be a tile shop, a bathroom shop, you name it. Anything on your high street, which is sadly <laughs> just crumbled away, um, allowed them to go and say, we will take 15 grand of your money, we'll then make a commercial, we'll then put it on air, and then you can see it and we'll see if it works. First time the kind of proper linear was working. I got the opportunity to direct loads of commercials and those two guys really allowed me to do what I wanted in a creative way. That's where I kind of got to understanding how commercials were really made. Mind you, I was lucky enough to hire, if there was a budget, a really fantastic camera person. But nine times out of ten, we'd have our own DV camera, we'd go film it, I'll bring it back. Um, Luke and Wally had got the first Final Cut 7 G5, I think it was a dual 2 gigahertz thing with uh, probably about an hour or two of internal storage. We got a J3 um, uh, Betacam player, and it was the most cowboyish, fantastic thing I've ever done in my entire life. And to date, I'm still in touch with Wally. He's an absolute trailblazer what they're doing. They're killing it in Australia, and God bless them. They're absolutely cracking people. I then went to a company called AdStream. Now, AdStream's claim to fame was digitizing the commercials and then sending them to the broadcasters as files to be played out. Back in the day, we were having some hardware which would catch the files and play them out through SDI, which is a, a digital cable, and RS-422, which is the controller for the tape machines. And these would then be sent all around Australia. And the goal was from Sydney to um, uh, Perth, huge distance, these things would get there in 45 minutes and it was unheard of because it would take days and days and days. James Carpenter and Richard Carter were the guys who trailblazed this. Um, they pumped a load of money into it. There were some highs and lows. The technology was amazing. And now I've actually come around full circle. I've managed to get to the broadcaster. I've done the post-production. I've made the commercials. And now I'm sending the commercials. Needless to I know, I'd be at that company for a very long time. Um, one day James came in and said, you've got a British passport. We go, yep. He goes, well, I'm going to send you to UK. We're going to kick off and get it going there. So in 2004, I jetted off to the UK, been to England once, um, probably I think in 99 to do some editing for the World Cup and uh, the World Cup cricket. And off I go, 2004, brand new starts. There's about six people in the office. Um, and I get this opportunity to strap on a tool belt and go set up a load of the AdStream offices. Um, it was an interesting time. It was uh, penny-pinching. It was competitive. Um, it was run as a very entrepreneurial company, which I loved. And it stayed there for about 10 years. I'd left it twice. I'd gone and done some other stuff. You know, I'd got... Uh, this is not for me, left, but as a boomerang, I came back. Um, I can't help James Carpenter's charismatic approach of getting me back into the place. And in 2014, James had left Honeycomb, I think in 2013, 2012, and had come back to start up a new company called Honeycomb. Honeycomb, to date, is the best company I've ever worked with. And it's quite clear. Honeycomb was built up with a handful of absolutely fantastically brilliant people. Now, these people were 
leaders in their fields, um, from coders to uh, CTOs to the managers. And the vision was quite simple, kick ass. Now, James is James Cup is a very cool person of allowing you to do your job. So he would then go, all right, your goal is to do this. If you don't do it, you're out of here. And that works for people. Sometimes it scares snowflakes and uh, other people, but this time, this is all seasoned people, but, you know, people over 35, 40, he had hired to do this. The company grew to 60. Um, we we're taking land share on all of the markets that we're in. We had huge expectations and massive goals on addressable and programmatic, and we're working with all the major broadcasters. One of the major broadcasters in the UK, we had built some specific code to allow them to slash um, the workflow from one file would take them about 25 minutes. We dropped it down to 14 seconds. Now that's ridiculous, but this is the absolute attitude of how people are. They work right, you get it on, and it's fantastic. In 2018, Honeycomb was bought out by a company called IMD, and that was becoming Peach. And as of today, as in March 2020, that's where I'm currently at as the director of Advanced TV. So this is the opening podcast that I'm trying out. Um, I'm going to be bringing um, sequential ones on here. I'm going to go through all of the post-production workflows. I'm going to go through what broadcast is doing. I'm going to go through what I think the world is up to. And it's kind of been more of a lifestyle one, but deep diving in some technical stuff as well. So I hope you come along for the journey because this is a very exciting for me. I've wanted to do a podcast for many, many years. Got myself a Blue Yeti. Um, got myself uh, a motivation of what I want to do, and I hope this is going to work out. Anyway, thank you for listening, and enjoy your day.